Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, published by our very dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse on the link top for online edition, you'll see the drop-down where you'll find Read ACIMOE. Also at that website, there's a tab called Lesson Sign Up, where you can sign up to receive a daily email that includes both the reading that we share here this morning as well as the lesson for the day. My name is Laura Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we continue our reading of the Manual for Teachers in Section 19, What is Justice? And Section 20, What is the Peace of God? We're also mindful of our lesson today. There is no end to all... Whoopsie! Huh. That was yesterday's lesson. I recognize that one. One second here. Sickness is but lesson 356. Sickness is but another name for sin. Healing is but another name for God. And the miracle is thus a call to Him. And by way of opening this morning, um, I'd like to share this little piece from Mary Beth Scalise. Oh, she's uh, a channel of poetry, you might say. Uh, but this piece really uh, encapsul- encapsulates today's lesson, I think. It goes like this. This instant of tiny willingness, of little heartbeats, of quiet longing and sincere prayer creates a truly sacred day. The awareness of an indwelling, immaculate life cultivates a daily Christmas consciousness, giving birth to love on earth. The holy instant abides in me. I receive it now. I give it now. Each drum of my heart proclaims this second as the one of Christ's precious appearance. Nothing in the world you learned is half so dear as this. Listen and see if you remember an ancient song more dear than any melody you've taught yourself to cherish since. Amen. Thank you, Lori. It's very Christmas-like. I loved it. Oh, thank you. I was really glad to find it for today, for today's lesson. And let me say, my friends, here's our reading list today. Lots of reading. We have Lemoyne, Jennifer, Karen, and Jessica. And so far we're joined in listening by Harrison, Judy, and Diana. Is there anyone else who's joined us who'd like to say good morning or be on the reading list? Oh, good morning, Laurie. Good morning, everyone. It's Lana, and I I can read today. Marvelous. Thank you, Lana. Morning, it's Sandra. I can read. Thank you, Sandra. 
Anyone else go for it? Yeah, go ahead and put me down. I've got my book. <laughs> Diana. All right, Diana. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> I'm Kevin Marie. Good morning. Good morning. Great. Yeah, I Hi. can read it. Hi. Thank you. Marvelous. And see? <laughs> okay. That's great. Oh, I'm so glad. Uh, Judy has volunteered to do our lesson at the top of the hour, and let's see how close we get to that with our two sections today. <clears throat> today we start with 19, section 19 of the Manual for Teachers. Oh, what is justice? Justice is the divine correction for injustice. Injustice is the basis for all the judgments of the world. Justice corrects the interpretations to which injustice gives rise and cancels them out. Neither justice nor injustice exists in heaven, for error is impossible and correction meaningless. In this world, however, forgiveness depends on justice, since all attack can only be unjust. Justice is the Holy Spirit's verdict upon the world. Except in his judgment, justice is impossible, for no one in the world is capable of making only just interpretations and laying all injustices aside. If God's Son were fairly judged, there would be no need for salvation. The thought of separation would have been forever inconceivable. Uh, Lemoy. Thank you, Lori. Um, and for teachers, 19, what is justice? Justice is the divine correction for injustice. Injustice is the basis for all the judgments of the world. Justice corrects the interpretations to which injustice gives rise and cancels them out. Neither justice nor injustice exists in heaven, for error is impossible and correction meaningless. In this world, however, forgiveness depends on justice, since all attack can only be unjust. Justice is the Holy Spirit's verdict upon the world. Except in his judgment, justice is impossible, for no one in the world is capable of making only just interpretations and laying all injustices aside. If God's Son were fairly judged, there would be no need for salvation. The thought of, salva the thought of separation would have been forever inconceivable. Justice, like its opposite, is an interpretation. It is, however, the one interpretation that leads to truth. This becomes possible because while it is not true in itself, justice includes nothing that opposes truth. There is no inherent conflict between justice and truth one is but the first small step in the direction of the other. 
the path becomes quite different as one goes along. Nor could all the magnificence, the grandeur of the scene, and the enormous opening vistas that rise to meet one as he travels on be foretold from the outset. Yet even these, whose splendor reaches indescribable heights as one proceeds, fall short indeed of all that awaits one when the pathway ceases and time ends with it. But somewhere one must start. Justice is the beginning. Thank you, Lemoyne. Uh, Jennifer. Justice, like its opposite, is an interpretation. It is, however, the one interpretation that leads to truth. This becomes possible because while, while it is not true in itself, justice includes nothing that opposes truth. There is no inherent conflict between justice and truth. One is but the first small step in the direction of the alia. The path becomes quite different as one go- goes along. Nor could all the magnificence, the grandeur of the scene, and the enormous opening vistas that rise to meet one as he travels on, be foretold from the onset. Yet even these, whose splendor reaches indescribable heights as one proceeds, fall short indeed of all that awaits one when the pathway ceases. Uh, ceases and time ends with it. But somewhere, one must start. Justice is the beginning. All concepts of your brothers and yourself, all fears of future states, and all concern about the past and from injustice, here's the lens which, held before the body's eyes, distorts perception and brings witness of the distorted world back to the mind that made the land and holds it very dear. (laughs) Selectively and arbitrarily is every concept of the world built up in just this way. Quote-unquote sins are perceived and justified by, by this careful selectivity in which all thought of wholeness must be lost. Forgiveness has no place in such a scheme, for not one quote-unquote sin, but seems forever too. Thank you, Jennifer. And Karen. Three. All concepts of your brother and yourself all fears of future states, and all concerns about the past stem from injustice. Here is the lens which held before the body's eyes, distorts perception, and brings witnesses of the distorted world back to the mind that made the lens and holds it very dear. 
selectively and arbitrarily is every concept of the world built up in just this way. Quote-unquote sins are perceived and justified by this careful selectivity in which all thought of wholeness must be lost. Forgiveness has no place in such a scheme, for not one quote-unquote sin that seems forever true. Four, salvation in God is God's justice. <clears throat> Excuse me. Salvation is God's justice. It restores to your awareness the wholeness of the fragments you perceive as broken off and separate. And it is this that overcomes the fear of death. For separate fragments must decay and die, but wholeness is immortal. It remains forever and forever like its creator, being one with him. God's judgment is his justice. Unto this, a judgment wholly lacking in condemnation, an evaluation based entirely on love, you have projected your injustice attributing to God the lens of warped perception through which you look. Now it belongs to him and not to you. You are afraid of him and do not see. You hate and fear yourself as enemy. Thank you, Karen. Uh, Jessica. Paragraph four. Salvation is God's justice. It restores to your awareness the wholeness of the fragments you perceive as broken off and separate. And it is this that overcomes the fear of death. For separate fragments must decay and die, but wholeness is immortal. It remains forever and forever like its creator being one with him. God's judgment is his justice. On to this, a judgment wholly lacking in condemnation, an evaluation based entirely on love, you have projected your injustice, attributing to God the lens of warped perception through which you look. Now it belongs to him and not to you. You are afraid of him and do not see you hate and fear your true self as enemy. Pray for God's justice and do not confuse his mercy with your own insanity. Perception can make whatever picture the mind desires to see. Remember this. In this lies either heaven or hell as you elect. God's justice points to heaven just because it is entirely impartial. It accepts all evidence that is brought before it, omitting nothing and assessing nothing as separate and apart from all the rest. From this one standpoint does it judge, and this alone. Here all attack and condemnation becomes meaningless and indefensible. 
Perception rests, the mind is still, and light returns again. Vision is now restored. What had been lost has now been found. The peace of God descends on all the world, and we can see. And we can see. Thank you, Jessica um, and Lana. Uh, if you'd like to do that paragraph, the next section title, and right into uh, what is the peace of God, please. Certainly. Okay. Pray for God's justice and do not confuse his mercy with your own insanity. Perception can make whatever picture the mind desires to see. Remember this. In this lies either heaven or hell, as you elect. Excuse me. God's justice points to heaven, just because it is entirely impartial. It accepts all evidence that is brought before it, omitting nothing and assessing nothing as separate and apart from all the rest. From this one standpoint, does it judge, and this alone. Here, all attack and condemnation becomes meaningless and indefensible. Perception rests, the mind is still, and light returns again. Vision is now restored. What had been lost has now been found. The peace of God descends on all the world, and we can see, and we can see. Okay. Section 20. What is the peace of God? It has been said that there is a kind of peace that is not of this world. How is it recognized? How is it found? And being found, how can it be retained? Let us consider each of these questions separately, for each reflects a different step along the way. Thank you, Lana. Um, and Sandra. 20. What is the peace of God? 1. It has been said that there is a kind of peace that is not of this world. How is it recognized? How is it found? And being found, how can it be retained? Let us consider each of these questions separately, for each reflects a different step along the way. Two, first, how can the peace of God be recognized? God's peace is recognized at first by just one thing. In every way, it is totally unlike all previous experiences. It calls to mind nothing that went before. It brings with it no past associations. It is a new thing entirely. There is a contrast, yes between this thing and all the past. But strangely, it is not a contrast of true differences. The past just slips away, and in its place, 
is everlasting quiet. Only that. The contrast first perceived has merely gone. Quiet has reached to cover everything. Thank you, Sandra. Um, and Diana. Hi, good morning. Um, number two. First, how can the first how can the peace of God be recognized? God's peace is recognized at first by just one thing. In every way, it is totally unlike the previous experiences. It calls to mind nothing that went before. It brings with it no past associations. It is a new thing entirely. There is a contrast, yes, because this thing and all the past, but strangely, it is not a contrast of true differences. The past just slips away and in its place is everlasting quiet. Only that, the contrast first perceived has merely gone. Quiet has returned to cover everything. Number three, how is this quiet found? No one can fail to find it who uh, seeks out its conditions. God's peace can never come where anger is, for anger must be denied that peace exists. Who sees anger as justified in any way or any circumstance proclaims that peace is meaningless and must believe that it cannot exist? In the condition, peace cannot be found. For, uh, therefore, forgiveness is the necessary condition for finding the peace of God. More than this, Given forgiveness, there must be peace. For what except attack will lead to war? And what but peace is opposite to war? Here, the initial contrast stands out, clear and apparent. Yet when peace is found, the war is meaningless, and it is conflict now that is perceived as non-existent and unreal. Thank you, Diana. And Robin Marie. Three. <clears throat> How is this quiet found? No one can fail to find it. Who but seeks out its conditions? God's peace can never come where anger is, for anger must deny that peace exists. Who sees anger as justified in any way or any circumstance proclaims that peace is meaningless and must believe that it cannot exist. In this condition, peace cannot be found. Therefore, forgiveness is the necessary condition for finding the peace of God. More than this, given forgiveness must wait. More than this, given forgiveness, there must be peace. 
For what except attack will lead to war? And what but peace is opposite to war? Here, the initial contrast stands out clear and apparent. Yet when peace is found, the war is meaningless. And it is conflict now that is perceived as non-existent and unreal. For, for, how is the peace of God retained once it is found? Returning anger in whatever form will drop the heavy curtain once again, and the belief that peace cannot exist will certainly return. War is again accepted as, as the one reality. Now must you once again lay down your sword, although you may not recognize that you have picked it up again, but you will learn, as you remember even faintly, now, what happiness was yours without it, that you must have taken it again as your defense. Stop for a moment now and think of this. Is conflict what you want, or is God's peace the better choice? Which gives you more? A tranquil mind is not a little gift. Would you not rather live than choose to die? Thank you, Robin Marie. And is there a new reader for uh, paragraph four and five? I would love to read this. Thank you, Lori. Thanks, Jude. How is the peace of God retained once it is found? Returning anger, in whatever form, will drop the heavy curtain once again, and the belief that peace cannot exist will certainly return. War is again accepted as the one reality. Now, must you once again lay down your sword, although you will not realize that you have picked it up again. But you will learn, as you remember even faintly now, what happiness was yours without it, that you must have taken it again as your defense. Stop for a moment now and think of this. Is conflict what you want? Or is God's peace the better choice? Which gives you more? A tranquil mind is not a little gift. Would you not rather live than choose to die? Living is joy, but death can only weep. You see and death escape from what you made, but this you do not see, that you made death, and it is but an illusion of an end, and it is but an illusion of an end. Death cannot be escape, because it is not life in which the problem lies. Life has no opposite, for it is God. Life and death seem to be opposites, because you have decided death ends life. Forgive the world, and you will understand that everything that God created cannot have an end, and nothing he did not create is real. In this one sentence 
is our course explained. Forgive the world and you will understand that everything God created cannot have an end and nothing he did not create is real. In this one sentence, is our course explained? In this one sentence, is our practicing giving given its one direction? And it is this. The Holy Spirit's whole curriculum is specific, specified exactly as it is. <laughs> Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. And is there another new reader? Um, who would like to read paragraph 5 and 6. We're in the manual for teachers. What is the peace of God? Okay, Lemoy, back to you. Living is joy, but death can only weep. You see in death, escape from what you made. But this you do not see, that you made death, and it is but illusion of an end. Death cannot be escaped because it is not life in which the problem lies. Life has no opposite, for it is God. Life and death seem to be opposites because you have decided that death ends life. Forgive the world and you will understand that everything which God created cannot have an end and nothing he did not create is real. In this one sentence is our course explained. In this one sentence is our practicing given it's one direction. And in this, the Holy Spirit's whole curriculum is specified exactly as it is. What is the peace of God? No more than this. The simple understanding that his will is holy without opposite. There is no thought that contradicts his will yet can be true. The contrast between his will and yours but seem to be reality. In truth, there is no conflict because his will is yours. Now is the mighty will of God himself his gift to you. He does not seek to keep it for himself. Why would you seek to keep your tiny frail imaginings apart from him? The will of God is one, and all there is. This is your heritage. The universe, beyond the sun and stars and all the thoughts of which you can conceive, belong to you. God's peace is the condition for his will. Attain his peace, and you remember him. Thank you, Lemoyne. Uh, and Jennifer. That last paragraph, please. 
surely. What is the peace of God? No more than this. The simple understanding that his will is holy without opposite. There is no thought that contradicts his will yet can be true. The contrast between his will and yours but seems to be reality. In truth, there is no conflict because his will, his will is yours. Now is the mighty will of God himself his gift to you. He does not seek to keep it for himself. Why would you seek to keep your tiny, frail imaginings apart from him? The will of God is one and all there is. There is. This is your heritage. The universe beyond the sun and stars and all the thoughts of which you conceive belong to you. God's peace is the condition for his will. Attain his peace and you remember him. Thank you, Jennifer, and thank you, everyone who read these two two sections together. Um, the goal and the step in the direction. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say right now. And we have about seven minutes uh, before the top of the hour, and um, at the top of the hour, we'll reflect on what am I. And today's lesson 356, and Judy's volunteered to do that for us. So um, I'll open the floor for a few comments and before the top of the hour. Thanks. Um, I just want to read this. It's a good reminder, once again, that peace is my heritage. That is the gift from God. And if I'm in conflict with anything, uh, I ask to see this anger differently and ask for forgiveness because returning back to his peace is my, is my peace. And... It's kind of, this is my feeling of what was read. Thank you, Diana. Thank you, Diana. Good morning, everyone. Um, these two sections, um, just it just reminds me, I forget what lesson it is, but where Jesus tells me I've given everything, all the meaning that it has for me. And, you know, after 
I practice forgiveness and my mind's return to peace. The outside picture may look the same, but what seems to bring me peace is the meaning I had given to it, you know, um, because the meaning that I give to it is always based on the past. And um, it is truly, for me, the difference between conflict and chaos and the peace of God. And it truly is a way of seeing it. When I withdraw my meaning um, and realign my mind with the Holy Spirit, or another way of saying it, you know, I'll, I'll place whatever meaning I've given to it on the altar of the Holy Spirit and ask Holy Spirit to intercede for me, purify that meaning, and bring me back into alignment with the truth with God's will because I'm defining something and giving it a meaning that opposes the will of God which is of course my perfect happiness so and I you know I can I can see this all the time you know where one time something might upset me greatly and then after my mind is healed it's like why could that have ever upset me? You know, it's it's like all of a sudden, it, it the meaninglessness of it um, becomes uh, meaningless. You know, and and I and I see that I was doing it to myself by bringing some past judgment or some past definition or some past experience or opinion to um, what's showing up in my life, and I'm judging it. And, of course, that never works. And so I only have to just pause for a moment and bring my awareness back to this present moment and rest in God, turn over control as my own teacher, and allow God to show me what the truth is. I have to just get out of the way and and just listen and be a witness to uh, the beautiful shift in perception where I'm shown that there is no there isn't anything else other than the peace of God and when I think it it is there is I've just added something that's not true and disrupt disrupted the whole. Um, you know, the, my whole uh, state of mind and where there was peace and simplicity and harmony with self, I'm literally opposing myself. I'm literally bringing some falsity to what is happening. And I only have to disengage that my mind I have to step aside I have to stop thinking and allow the thoughts I think with God to replace that ego mentality that ego thinking mechanism uh, which is always which will never bring me anything that I want so both of these sections I find are very powerful reminders about 
justice and the peace of God, how to attain it and how to maintain it. Um, and it's, um, and I, you know, I just love the manual for teachers. In fact, I think that was the first book I read when um, I became aware of A Course in Miracles. Uh, it just encapsulates everything and and which I think is clear and um, understandable and it really makes sense to, it really makes sense to me so anyhow I just wanted to share that thank you all for listening oh thank you Lana that was just perfect yeah. it was just thank perfect you, and so here we are at the top of the hour and um, Judy if you'll go ahead and lead our reflection this morning we sure do appreciate you volunteering yes Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, This is from the workbook for students. 14, what am I? Be still and know I am God's son, complete and healed and whole, shining in the reflection of capital His love. In us is his creation sanctified and guaranteed eternal life. In us is love perfected, fear impossible, and joy established without opposite. Be still and know I am the holy home of God himself. I am the heaven where his love abides. I am his holy sinlessness itself, for in my purity abides his own. Our use for words is almost over now, yet in the final days of this year we gave to God together, you and I, we found a single purpose that we shared, and thus you join with me So what capital I am, are you as well? The truth of what we are is not for words to speak of nor describe, yet we can realize our function here, and words can speak of this and teach it too if we exemplify the words within us. We are the bringers of salvation. We accept our part as saviors of the world, which through our joint forgiveness is redeemed. And this, our gift, is therefore given us. We look on everyone as brother and perceive all things as kindly and as good. We do not seek a function that is past the gate of heaven, and knowledge will return when we have done our part, and we are concerned only with giving welcome to the truth. Ours are the eyes through which Christ's vision sees a world redeemed from every thought of sin. Ours are the ears that hear the voice of God proclaim the world as sinless. 
ours, the minds which join together as we bless the world. And from the oneness that we have attained, we call to all our brothers, asking them to share our peace and consummate our joy. We are the holy messengers of God who speak for capital Him and carrying capital His capital word to everyone whom He has sent to us. We learn that it is written on our hearts and thus our minds are changed about the aim for which we came and which we seek to serve. We bring glad tidings to the capital Son of God who thought he suffered. Now he is redeemed. And as he sees the gate of heaven stand open before him, he will enter in and disappear into the heart of God. We'll go to Lesson 356. The words given to us to contemplate today. Sickness is but another name for sin. Healing is but another name for God. The miracle is thus a call to Him. Father, you promised you would never fail to answer any call your capital son may make to you. It does not matter where he is, what seems to be his problem, or what he believes he has become. For he is your capital son, and you will answer him. The miracle reflects capital your love, and thus it answers him. Your capital name replaces every thought of sin, and who is sinless cannot suffer pain. Your name gives answer to your son, because to call your name is but to call his own. Be still for five minutes. And know I am.
sickness is but another name for sin. Healing is but another name for God. The miracle is thus a call to him. Your name gives answer to your son, because to call your name is but to call his own. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Judy. Amen. Good job, Judy. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Judy. That was lovely. Thank you, Judy. Judy, I have a question. What page were you actually reading that from? The the first part. Well, in the complete, the complete and annotated edition, it's. Um, it's not in this book. It's in a different book. What book do you uh, have? Well, just the the, um, the Course in Miracles original edition, the one with the pearls. The pearls. If you hold on a second, I'll get that book and I'll tell you. Oh, okay. Thank you. Someone else I'm, that's, I'm always confused about where where people are reading this from. <laughs> Diana, it's uh, yes. between Lessons 350 and 351. The set of Lessons 351 through 360 are preceded by the What Am I question or thought. You'll find it on page 422. Oh, 422. Okay. Okay, so it's always preceding a lesson set. The actual lessons that cor- cor- correlate with what we read. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. You okay, bet. So the last theme for the remainder of the lessons this year. What am I? That's what I read. Did you find Thank it? Thank you, Judy. Yes, I did. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love this. Our use for words is almost over now. And and that the contrast, and Lana, thank you for your share before we went into the lesson that, you know, that all this thinking and all these thoughts and um, is reflected in, in um, the text reading for today from the manual for teachers that, all thoughts are fragments and part of and partial and you know how there there are no thoughts or fragments or words in in heaven there's no need for them <laughs> which is something we can only imagine 
that silent stillness that just is the sound of the celestial spheres and, you know, holy harmony, however it sounds. I can't, I don't, I don't know that I remember that yet, but the, um, the, um, the contrast for the noise and the, and the thoughts and, and, you know, how it can, it can shrink down to, um, the coarse and gross, grossness of, of the screeching and the, the vain imaginings of the ego that suffers alone, you know, that suffering is being alone, that we can't share suffering with anybody. That's the most personal and private thing that anybody can do is to suffer. And um, but that God is wherever we go, with us, everywhere. Just love this, that in all of us, is his creation sanctified and guaranteed eternal life that it has nothing to do with um, our our um, our mortality and bodies and our love is perfected and joy established without us opposite in our spirits that's how our spirit was created in in its perfection and that I can know that 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 goes with me, that is my reality in my Christ consciousness as the Son of God. And that, you know, God's name is nameless, that we give the word God to God, but he doesn't have a name, that's not his name. (laughs) To call his name is to call my own, and there's no word for what we are, there's no concept for what we are there's no image that for that wholeness and that that which is all encompassing love itself and this is all just so magnificent to me today and just happy to be here and to share it all with you thank you for Harrison for asking me to read that I feel all aglow with the light thank you I'm complete Oh, that was beautiful, Judy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. This idea of sickness is uh, something that I really wrestled with because, especially as we grow older, it becomes such a central part of our experience as bodies in the world of form. And I appreciate that Jesus 
deals with sickness so directly. And in many ways, it rivals the body as the central illusion uh, of the world. And Jesus um, addresses sickness certainly in the workbook in lesson one thirty six sickness is a defense against the truth and um, I think it's lesson one forty only salvation can be said to cure and especially in that lesson uh, he talks about the differences in the way healing uh, is perceived between how the world perceives it and how the courts perceived it. He says in 140, what the world perceives is therapeutic is about what will make the body, quote unquote, better. When is the world tries to heal the mind. It sees no separation from the body where things the mind exists. Its forms of healing thus must substitute illusion for illusion. One believes in sickness takes another form. And so the patient now perceives himself as well. Paragraph two, he says, he is not healed. He merely had a dream that he was sick. And in the dream, he found a magic formula to make him well. Yet, he has not awakened from the dream. And so his mind remains exactly as it was before. He has not seen the light that would awaken him and end the dream. What difference does the content of a dream make in reality? One either sleeps or waking. There is no, there is nothing in between. 
So the idea that sickness is all part of this dream and the dream that presents itself as form to us. The world is that dream. And to undo sickness in reality and truth is to undo my belief in the entire illusion. I can't be healed otherwise. Yeah, there are remedies that in the world that seem to make me better. But those remedies don't reach the heart of what the problem is. There is one problem and one solution. The problem is the belief in separation that there is a world world of bodies that is separate from God. Healing is to realize that I am as God created me. And that's all I am. And God created me as spirit, an idea in his mind, the Christ, that's who I am, that's who you are, and we're one as Christ, that encompasses Every one of us, and we're pure, sinless, the Holy Son of God, His perfect creation. Sickness is but another name for sin. Separation. Healing is but another name for God. Joining. The miracle is thus a call to Him. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Harrison. Not so complete. It was beautiful. Thank you, Harrison. Yes, thank you, Harrison. That was really beautiful. Yes, it was. Thank you, thank Harrison. You, Harrison. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk for a minute. This is Ida. Hi to my spiritual family. Um, 
about this um, lesson. Um, so several days ago, I was leaning over to pick up something on the floor, and something started to hurt in my side. And um, I ended up going to a doctor yesterday. She said I had pulled a muscle. And that, and I took an ibuprofen this morning, you know. But, and that helped the physical thing, but um, I know that's in my heart of hearts, that's not really what it is. Because when I was talking with my friends, when I felt more pain earlier this morning, uh, physical pain, the emotional pain came up too from the grief from the deaths of my roommate and my mother in the past month or so. And, um, but I know when he says that sickness is sin, um, that's not my favorite word, sin, but I know that it was an error for me to, you know, and it is an error for me to believe that somebody is their body, that, that that's who they really are, that who they really are could die. And so that would be what he would call sin, for me to believe that. And that's why I have sadness over that and um, end up manifesting it in a, in a physical way as well. Um, so... Um, Anyway, that's just an example of how, of how the um, today's lesson works. So anyway, um, um, hopefully we can all learn from my lesson. <laughs> I asked for a miracle instead, right? So thank you again. I'm complete. Thank you, Ida. Thank you for that practice. Thanks, Ida. Good morning, this is Sandra. And this reading for me is is um, an attempt at teaching us how to think holistically. We we fragment everything as a species. Part of it is for I believe exploitation. It's like we took a grain, a whole grain, and then we made it into different types of flowers and um, some less dense, some more dense. So when we fragmented things, we could get more of it. So it's kind of like exploitation. Um, But my understanding, being a holistic person, is that when we fragment things, we lose elements of it. We lose traces of it. So then it's no longer whole. Um, and and we're, I think we're feeling the effects of fragmenting everything. And as a species, the greed that came from that, um, because it was a way to make money and... Uh, Anyway, this is telling us to think more holistically that we need all those traces and those elements. And, and, and what we did was we judged them as, uh, you know, either not necessary or they didn't make us enough money or whatever it was. But we're asked to think more holistically, to think like God, 
to include everything. No more fragmentation to see only unity in everything. And that's not easy when we've been programmed to see things from a fragmented point of view and to actually fragment that that was that might benefit us to fragment instead of seeing the whole picture um, and including everything. So I'm just a novice at this. I'm just learning. Uh, one of the things I try to do to help me, because I see the connection between what I put into this body, whether it's food or listening to these calls or reading books or watching movies, And I try to make it more holistic, more holy. And kind of like putting my money where my mouth is. But it's it's a very in-depth process and it requires a lot of of thinking. And um, I know in my family, I was told that I thought, I, I, I was a big thinker, I thought too much. I shouldn't think so much. But actually, it's this quiet place of thoughtfulness that I do my work. And it's, it's, it's becoming a quiet place. It's not a noisy place. It's just a place of peace where I can really think about things and see, is this for my highest and best or should I let it go because it's bringing me sadness when it brings me sadness and pain and suffering, I turn it over to my Holy Spirit. I ask to be shown the truth. And then my job is to let it go. I gave it to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's handling it for me. And now it's time for me to let go. And I'm getting pretty good at it. So life is peaceful. And it's quiet. And I'm appreciating it. I'm complete. That was very beautiful, Sandra. Beautiful weaving. Amen. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Beautiful. Good morning, Karen. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm so bundled up, I don't know if my my earphones are, you know, buried. Uh, so I had a few thoughts. Um, first of all, what is the peace of God? I've told you before, I grew up in a really, really violent, abusive household. And as soon as I discovered alcohol and drugs, I was off to the races to uh, anesthetize myself. And as time went on, when I was in my mid-20s, I was like, God, I don't know where to find you. How can I find you? And two weeks later, someone invited me to a yoga class. And we were doing yoga at the gym, which I belonged to. And she said, oh, I'm going to take you to a real yoga class. And it was Alan Cohen, and he was teaching at uh, the adult school 
down the street. And I went to the first yoga class. And the following week, she said to me, you want to come back? She said, "Um, after yoga, there's a meditation class. And I was like, huh, what is meditation? And I was really afraid of God and really blamed God for everything, you know, all the things I had been through. She was like, oh, no, it's transcendental meditation. It's not about religion. I was like, okay. And it, and uh, the door closed in this meditation class, and he said he was calling on the angels. I might have told you this before. I, I swear to you, my psyche was clawing at the door to get out of that room. The light that came was so powerful, and I felt like all the demons inside me were screaming. And the next day, I had this most unworldly experience of something, and it was the peace of God. It was like I was sitting there, and I had I opened my eyes and saw the world for the first time, and it was beautiful. And I never experienced not having all that emotional pain. I never experienced feeling peaceful prior to that moment. And as a result of that, I was on a quest to find more places like his thing. And his thing ended. That was the last night of his, um, his spring session at the adult school. It was over. And that led me to the next place and the next place and the next place. But it was such an unworldly experience of peace. It was like the whole, all of my being was enveloped in holiness and love for the first time ever. And there was no going back to what it was like before. Um, This morning on the other call, Reverend Pam was, was talking about how, you know, she injured her hand a while ago and she's going for physical therapy and she keeps going back. And in her mind, and this was me too, you know, about being sick, it's like, oh, I'm gonna, doing this thing to get better. And the ego mind has, has constructed a world where, you know, I'm going to physical therapy to get my hand healed. I'm going to the doctor to get over my cold. Um, It's like Ida was saying, you know, it's about bending over and straining yourself, but not necessarily. This thing we call sickness isn't about the body. The sickness is identification with the body, but the body can be used by the Holy Spirit, even if it's unwell, to guide us into a deeper healing I, I don't know ultimately, and I, I, I'm sure in absolute reality, if you're purified of all your scars and all your, then you don't have to have sickness for sure. But in the meantime, it's like a learning. I am not my body. I am not my body. It's okay, you know, if God is giving me this experience. It's not to judge the experience as bad or wrong, not to judge the experience as being um you know, a failure, which is what my mind would say, and then I feel guilty because I must not be doing it right. Or, you know, in Reverend Pam's case, she discovered that she was there to bring healing to the people who worked at this place. You know, Holy Spirit was sending her through this 
through the um, seeming cause of of getting her hand occupational therapy for her hand, but she was there to bring the light to the people who worked at this place. That's really what how God uses us. If we're messengers of God, then you know God will use all kinds of things. What I would get stuck in is interpreting. It's like fragmenting the big picture and interpreting some small part of it based on ego and worldly understanding as opposed to the the truth, which, which is holistic. And it's hard to be in the body when the body is sick and say, um, I'm not the body, and to step back and watch watch the symptoms without identifying with them. But it took me many years to be able to do that with fear. You know, now I can experience fear, and I don't freak out, and I don't identify with it. It's like, oh, fear, and I can step back and observe it and witness it and feel it, but not feel it like it's me, feel it like it's a thing that's passing through me to be healed. And I think perhaps being sick is an opportunity to span that understanding to say, well, you know, bodies go through things you know, that are not right or wrong, and it's not up to me to judge it. Again, always, it's not up to me to judge this. It's not up to me to judge this. And when I judge it, I have a whole world of expectations. And if my expectations are not met, then that's a premeditated resentment, and I'm lost. I go down further and further and further into the falsehood of my ego mind. Oh, I don't have to do that. God's justice isn't judgment. God's justice is holding everything and knowing that it, that ultimately it's all held in love. And and whatever's going on on the superficial plane or the worldly plane, the material reality, it's still held in God. And if I can hold myself open and trust, Everything interpreted correctly is an opportunity for healing. Sickness is my mind if I identify with my ego. And healing is the miracle of correct perception. Um, Sorry if that was all over the place. I'm complete. I loved every bit of it, Karen. Especially the Holy Spirit will use everything. Just great. Thank you. Oh, yes. Thank you, Karen. That was truly lovely. Thank you, Karen. That was perfect, Karen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen, and everyone else. I I had the cat lady here giving my cat clipping her nails, so I wasn't able to thank everyone else, but it's been great hearing you when I was able to listen. Thanks. Thanks, Jessica. Good morning again, it's Lana. Just um, briefly, I, it just brings to mind this this idea of wholeness, 
and fragments. Uh, thank you so much, Sandra, for sharing that. And, um, you know, it, it, so, sometimes I like to, when trying to explain it, uh, explain experiences, um, it's very difficult to put them into words. So a couple analogies that I found, I found helpful is, is like, um, you know, you're put, trying to put together one of those thousand piece puzzles and not knowing, you know, what the total picture looks like. You just put together these little fragments, you bring it, you bring it into wholeness. And for me, that's the willingness, you know, to bring, return the mind to wholeness. And um, the other analogy that comes to mind is when I was, I don't know, nine or 10, I never realized I had such a bad vision problem. You know, my parents finally took me to an eye doctor and um, because I couldn't see distance very well, but I wasn't aware of it. You know, it's the only way I've ever seen. So I thought that was normal way of seeing and I really didn't question it. I think it was a note from my teacher to my parents that alerted them and me. And, and I can remember driving home in the car with my glasses, my new glasses, and it was like seeing the world for the first time. You know, those green blurs on the trees. I could see the individual leaves with clarity, and it was like um, experiencing the world fresh and new in a way I'd never experienced before. And, and, and the peace of God for me is like that. And even though I may experience it several times, every time I do, it's like a fresh new creation. It's like I'm seeing with new eyes. And um, Jesus says somewhere is our great, in the course that our greatest need is vision. And um, I can recognize that now because if I'm seeing these little bits and pieces, these fragments of the whole, um, you know, the whole can't be fragmented. It can't be separated in any way. So if I'm perceiving these little fragments, and usually <laughs> they don't represent peace to me, you know, I, I can identify them as not being real, but rather an interpretation, just like before I got eyeglasses, what I was seeing, my mind would try to interpret it because it wasn't seen clearly. And many times I was wrong, you know. Um, most of the time I was wrong. And, um, you know, it just brings back to mind just the, the beauty and the clarity and the certainty that comes from uh, that shift in perception back into alignment with what God would have me see and God would have me experience and just to be willing to see differently you know but in the, but in the beginning it didn't I didn't I wasn't even aware that I needed to see differently you know it's um it's really crazy it's that um it's that believing in this dreamlike state and and believing that it's real and sometimes that you know there comes um, a false certainty with it because you you have no awareness of what is truly there and you think what you're seeing is real 
is real. So anyhow, uh, when I think about the peace of God and I think about wholeness, um, I can really see that it takes a miracle, it takes forgiveness, it takes that shift in perception to not only bring clarity and certainty back to my mind, you know, but um, it, you know, to bring the truth back to my mind that I had, you know, lost or misplaced or covered over with um, this false perception. So it's truly a miraculous blessing. Um, and every time I experience a good mind healing, <laughs> that a beautiful, miraculous blessing, you know, comes into view again. So I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Mama. Thank you, Lana. That's very beautiful, Lana. And, um, you know, while you were speaking, I, I, I wrote something on my page that kind of says it all for me. I used to, um, well, I've labored for many years under the, under the mistaken notion that uh, my peace was somewhere else, that my, my destination was beyond um, where I found myself. And um, I think the beauty of this journey is that the destination is the journey. In other words, you know, um, I think it's the last paragraph in What is the Body? We're enjoined to identify with love and you are safe. Identify with love and you are home. Identify with love and find yourself. And, and I always thought it interesting that that little bit um, of essential essential understanding was tucked uh, tucked away in what is the body but these days you know as as the body ages and and what have you uh, I find that that's a perfect place to put it that was a perfect place to put that little enjoinder in in the same way that it's uh, perfect that what is justice precedes the peace of God. And I, I, especially um, as regards the destination is the journey, I wanted to point out how he says in paragraph two that justice is a beginning. And if I, if I read justice as willingness, uh, it starts to make a lot of sense to me that you have no idea how he says, nor could, nor could all the magnificence, the grandeur of the scene, and the enormous opening vistas that rise to meet one as he travels on be foretold from the outset. Yet even these whose splendor reaches indescribable heights as one proceeds fall short indeed of all that awaits one when the pathway ceases and time ends with it. But somewhere, 
but somewhere one must start justice is the beginning what I especially like about justice when I read it as willingness um, like in that first paragraph forgiveness cancels out the words world's judgment justice is the Holy Spirit's verdict on the world yet in this world uh, I can't get there from here I can't get there from here in my own separate awareness and that's the point that is the whole point of willingness and I believe the whole point of with forgiveness is to recognize that on my own I can't do it because it is the nature of the ego to make error real and then try to try to pardon it as one might think himself greater than the one who made the error the ego has no idea how to forgive but 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 if I let Holy Spirit show me the way to forgiveness um, there is no question that I will reach the destination you know um, willingness is justice another way I like to translate justice <clears throat> so that I can understand it in the way he likes me to understand it is uh, God's God's version of justice is simply more you know I make an error he loves me more I make another error he loves me more like you say Lana it's um, every time a new thing every time something more every time greater understanding every time more inclusiveness which is word to um, to really embrace in this new lexicon <coughs> forgiveness um, it's the Holy Spirit's gift to me when I take that first step on the pathway that little willingness I looked at another thing this morning as regards this idea of justice I remember um, a number of years ago I heard myself say that forgiveness and miracle are opposite sides of the same coin and that fits uh, really well with today's lesson doesn't it that sickness is another name for sin healing is another name for God and the miracle is my call to him um, it's so simple when it boils down but forgiveness as the as the Holy Spirit directs me is a gift to me from the Holy Spirit that helps me um, helps me arrive at this new thing this new thing altogether this piece <coughs> they're handing gloves to each other uh, the other thing I wanted to point out about this this reading is paragraph four and that's why I said I looked at something else this morning really helpful paragraph four notes that salvation is God's justice but in heaven there's no such thing as salvation in heaven or the ultimate understanding of my relationship to God and creation as self 
true self, that ultimate understanding, uh, begins with the recognition that there's so much I don't know. Like you were saying, Lana, uh, when I'm in a state of I think I know, uh, I'm blind. I'm just absolutely blind when I'm in that state of I think I know. Because I'm relying on my own interpretations. And in that position, uh, truth is truth is unchanged. But I'm in a position where I don't know what I don't know. When I think I know, I don't know what I don't know. And that's um, that's the willingness that Holy Spirit um, will respond to every time unfailingly when I say I don't know there will be a response of holiness um, that directs me unfailingly Um, sometimes I need wait but I have no problem waiting you know in faith because I've had enough experience to know that um, the consequences when I throw my peace away or something I don't want at all (laughs) <laughs> and so um, it's not hard to wave. And the other thing I wanted to say, um, I'll, I'll just read the quote because I find it really helpful as regards justice, salvation, and the peace of God. It's from chapter 18. And this is how justice and peace relate to me. In this quote that says it all, it also says what the lesson is today. It's paragraph 32 in chapter 18, which is the dream of the reality, section 5, the little willingness. The holy instant, the holy instant is the result of your determination to be holy. I didn't know that's what I was after. But I knew, I knew I wanted truth. It is the answer. The desire and the willingness to let it come precedes its coming. You prepare your mind for it only to the extent of recognizing that you want it above all else. I want the truth. It is not necessary that you do more. In fact, it is necessary that you realize you cannot do more. Just like he says in, in the section on justice. Do not attempt to give the Holy Spirit what he does not ask, or you will add the ego unto him and confuse the two. He asks but little. It is he who adds the greatness and the might. He joins with you to make the holy instant far greater than you can understand. It is your realization that you need to do so little that enables him to give so much. Trust not your good intentions. They're not enough. But trust implicitly your willingness. To me, that's the essence of today's lesson. Any call to God is answered by himself. With the recognition, with the recognition that I am eternally in effect of God. These two sections are um, means and end to each other. I make the little little step on the pathway. I'm given everything I need for this destination to peace. 
recognizing that the destination is the journey, that there is no end, there is no limit, there is peace. And wide open vistas that my undefended and open mind can receive all as a gift, all of it, all of it as a perfect gift of a perfect father. As he says, you who belong to first cause, you who belong to first cause, recognize there is only cause, no second, no third, just cause. And the son is eternally an effect of the father shining in the reflection of his love. I'm complete. Excellent. Beautiful. Thank you, Lori. Oh, oh that was beautiful. Thank you so much, Lori. Thank you, Lori. Um, this is Ida. Lana quoted Buckminster Fuller in a post that I just read on Facebook. And forgive me, Lana, if I paraphrase what you and he said. Um, that Buckminster Fuller said, you don't change things in this world by fighting against the reality that's there. You change things by making a new reality and making the old one obsolete. So... I really like that, what Buckminster Fuller said and what Lana said as well. And I'm going to add that um, I just want to emphasize that that's what we're doing. When we study the Course, when we get together like this, when we allow the Holy Spirit to enter and move in our individual and collective lives, life, um, we are making a new quote-unquote reality in this world. It's not really a new reality, but it's new when when the, um, the ego has seemed to be running this world ever since, perhaps ever since it was made, this world, which is probably a really long time ago beyond what we even have numbers for. And we have numbers, I hear, for much more than is usually known and seen. Uh, very, very big numbers and tend to the blankly blank power, you know. So um, it's been a long, long time. But um, but time itself is an illusion, as he says in the book, in the, the being called A Course in Miracles. I really like it. Um, and I'm really glad I came back to studying it after an absence of, of uh, I think, some years or at least a few years. In 2015, when I found these... Um, these calls, and uh, thank you. I'm complete. Oh, thank you, Ida. Uh, this is Lana, and, and I, you know, I agree. It's it's like that quote from Buckminster Fuller reminded me that um, I need not do battle with what seems to be. You know, all I have to do is heal my mind. And in that healing, truth shows up, which makes the whole ego mentality obsolete. You know, it's like 
waking up from a drunken binge, you know, and saying, <laughs> what was I thinking, you know, and um, and seeing, you know, through those fresh eyes I was speaking about, you know, because um, I think uh, the intellect and the thinking mind um, can only get us so far, you know, they can point us point us to that place where we recognize we must let it go. And and so once I give something to the Holy Spirit, I don't have to think about it anymore. The deed is done. My mind has brought me through inner reflection. And like you were saying, Sandra, um, you know, it brought me to that place where I recognized I had to give it up. I had to give it to Holy Spirit. And it's and then there's no really there's no use in thinking about it then because I've already given it to Holy Spirit and to start thinking about it again, it's like taking it back from him and owning it myself again. But I um but through giving it to Holy Spirit, you know, I recognize uh that and I'm healed of that um all the meaning I had given to the ego thought system. And um, and all of a sudden, it becomes obsolete because the real, the truth has arisen in my mind. And um, and and I agree with you know with what you're saying, Laurie, too, about the journey is the destination because the infinite mind of God has no end point. Creation is continuous. Creation never ceases. So for me, awakening is the everlasting expansion of awareness in my mind. As my awareness expands, um, that clarity um, and peace uh, can take up a permanent residence in my mind and in my life and always be an open. I love that phrase, what you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> I, I love that because it's so true. You know, it's like, it's like I didn't know I didn't know I had bad eyesight, you know, <laughs> until I did, until I did. Then I could remedy it. And that's, I think, the same thing in, in this journey is uh, recognizing that there is a remedy, even though I have no idea what any of it means. All I can know is that I'm not at peace. You know, if I ask myself that question, am I at peace? It gives me all the information I need because I know the remedy is uh, just being quiet and silent in that present state of awareness and giving it all to the Holy Spirit or God or Jesus or whatever name you want to call it it all represents the higher mind the christ mind and um it's the doing mechanism i'm just the being i'm being and um when i allow it to heal me it does just getting out of my own way seems to be the biggest challenge that I have so and I practice that a lot so anyway I'm complete thank you Liza thank you everyone for listening oh thank you Lana <clears throat> beautiful thought and to end this recording this morning um, since we're at the top of the hour we'll just end the recording of course not the call um, a, a beautiful little poem I'd love to share 
Uh, as the completion of this season of waiting for Christmas comes and these final lessons and these final sections of the book are open for us, uh, a little poem in recognition of Christmas from Meister Eckhart is called Becoming Love. Two. When I learn to love you, simply because you are love. I come to accept myself simply because you made me in love and you never stop making me. And when I hold on to this and let go of every doubt, I find your love in everything and I become love in you and you become love in me. I bless you all with the love of God and I I pray your Christmas season or whatever you celebrate here at Solstice the celebration of light is is that kind of love for you um, on the recording but not the call and thank you everyone who, who joined and listened with us looking for truth every day